0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show When I was a kid, one of my heroes was Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police And, of course, his dog, Yukon King Challenge of the Yukon began as a 15-minute serial, airing locally on Detroit radio station WXYZ from 1938 till May 28th of 47, when the program finally acquired a sponsor, Quaker Oats, and the series in a half-hour format moved to the networks. In November of 51, the title changed to Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. The most prominent radio actors to play the role of Sergeant Preston were Paul Sutton and Brace Beamer, The uh, barks, whines, and howls of Yukon King were supplied by one of the station's sound effects men, Dewey Cole. Each episode has Sergeant Preston and Yukon King battling a new crisis, whether it be tracking down a murderer or a gang of thieves or claim-jumping miners. In any case, let's check in to hear the episode, Music Hall Murder. Now, as
2: gunshots echo across, the wind swept snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest... Quaker puff wheat and Quaker puff rice, a breakfast cereal shot from guns. Present the challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King, on you, Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon. A stampede to the Klondike in the Wild Race for Riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his Wonder Dog Yukon King as they meet the Challenge of the Yukon. Listen, fellas and girls, it looks from here as though the Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice great new offer is going to be a record breaker. And no wonder, there's never been anything quite like it. Just imagine, the swell-tasting breakfast cereals shot from guns are offering you an official challenge of the Yukon, flashing signal light. This brand new pocket-sized signal light is an amazing invention made specially for you listeners. It's a special kind of flashlight that works two ways. That is, this signal light sends out beams of red light or beams of green light. Yes, with a flick of your finger, it flashes red or it flashes green. Say, there's nothing like this mystifying two-way signal light for sending secret codes and messages, for signaling your friends, for fun. Whatever you do, listen to how you get yours. I'll tell you in just a few minutes. Nearly everyone in Dawson had heard of Trigger Bill Desmond, the sharpshooting star of the All-American Wild West shows. But when Big Ben Diamond brought him to the Yukon to be the featured attraction at the Music Hall, the Sourdough's were more than little surprised at his appearance. He was short even in cowboy boots. He was slight. He was 26, but he seemed to be about 19. He had light curly hair, blue eyes, and was extremely polite to everyone he met.
3: Oh, that's the best shot in the United States, huh? George looked like a bad man to me. He's nothing but a kid. I wonder if he can shoot. We'll find out about that
4: tomorrow night. Maybe he uses a
5: slingshot. <laughs>
2: Big Ben, hard and ruthless, disliked the kid from the first moment he saw him. But Trigger Bill could shoot. And at the finish of his act, when he blazed away with both guns... and the target bell rang out a rapid-fire tribute to his accuracy... the music hall audience rose to his feet in cheers. Even Ben gave his grudging approval.
3: Hey, kid, come here. Yes, sir. No, kid, I was all set to give you a notice. Didn't you like the act, sir? I changed my mind. And not much to look at. If those clay pipes and targets could talk... You'll probably be afraid to shoot at him. That depends, sir. I was in Cuba with Colonel Roosevelt's Rough Riders. (laughs) The mascot of the troupe, huh? Well, as I say, I've changed my mind. The crowd likes you, and I won't break our contract. But keep away from here when you're not working. You might get into trouble. Yes, sir.
2: Yes, the kid was a popular attraction at the music hall, but it was a mistake for him to ask Sally O'Neill to help him with his act. It was early one morning in the deserted cafe that Big Ben roared his disappointment. Well, listen,
3: Sprout. I'm the one who does the hiring around here, and I hire Sally to dance. She offered to help, sir.
6: I certainly did, Ben, and I'm going to. Is that so? You heard me, Ben.
3: Just don't forget you're my girl.
6: Twenty-three, Skidoo.
3: I'm giving you fair warning, Willie. Don't get any fancy ideas.
6: Kid, why did you let him call you Willie?
7: Well, it... It's my name, sort of. He
6: didn't mean it as any compliment.
7: I know, but I don't like trouble. seems to me I'm always getting into it, so I try not to rile people.
6: And so they use you for a doormat. Well, get this straight. I'm not Ben's girl. I don't like his style. But I don't like any man who doesn't have some gumption. I'm sorry. Never mind. Let's get on with the rehearsal. Now, what do I do?
7: Hold out one of those clay pipes to start with. And I'll, uh, I'll stand over
6: here. Like this? Yeah. Uh, hold it a little farther away
7: till you get used
6: to it. All right. Shoot. Hmm. A kid? Do you ever miss? Well, no. Then you listen to me. You're going to stand up for your rights a little more around here. By the way you can shoot, you don't have to take any back talk from any man.
7: I can't bluff anybody, Sally. People just seem to know I wouldn't use a gun on anything but a target. Not unless somebody drew first. And people don't even carry guns in Dawson.
6: Some of them do. And I think you better be one of them. I can't. I just don't understand you.
7: I'm, I'm sorry.
6: If only you had a little of my temper. It wouldn't be fair
7: for me to get into a gunfight. I can draw faster and shoot straighter than any man I
6: ever met. The other fellow wouldn't have a chance. Maybe I'm wrong.
7: What? You couldn't be wrong about anything.
6: Yes, I am. The only trouble with you is that you're a nice guy. And I wouldn't want that to be changed. But nobody's going to take advantage of you around here because of that. And I'm going to make it my business to see that they don't. Now, come on. Let's get on with the rehearsal.
2: With Sally helping with the act, it became even more popular... The men of Dawson learned to like the kid. He had no trouble with Ben because the big man was spending most of the time at his mine in Rainbow Creek. There was talk of a feud between him and Mike Lonigan, who owned the property next to him. Mike's gone to the police. Why? What's happened? He accuses Ben's men of robbing the sluices. They say Sergeant Preston's investigating.
7: Well, if Ben and Mike tangle, there's going to be fireworks.
2: (laughs) The fireworks came, and they started one evening at the music hall. The kids stopped at the table where Sally was sitting with some of the other girls. It's about time for us to go on, Sally.
6: I'm ready, kid.
2: As Sally rose from her chair, Brad Kramer, late of the San Francisco underworld and now a notorious Dawson troublemaker, walked up to her.
8: Hey, where do you think you're going?
6: time for the kids act
8: you're not going anywhere until you dance with me out of the way brad i said you were going to dance with me
6: and i'm telling you there won't be any more music until after the kids exhibition
8: you leave the band to me
6: take your hands off me
8: (laughs) you heard the lady take your hands off her well well if it isn't junior I suppose you're going to make me Yes, I am Without a gun, you haven't got a chance I'll show you Why, you little squirt, I'll break you in two Brad roared with rage as the kid's right caught
2: him flush on the jaw And he lashed back at him But the kid dodged the blow and stepped in with a right and left to the face
5: The kid was fast But
2: it was an unequal fight from the beginning Brad outweighed him by at least 50 pounds and it was obvious to everyone that the first of his blows that landed solidly would mean the end the kid. It came at last and the kid was knocked off his feet and into a table He hit hard and slumped to the floor Brad started toward him
6: Don't you dare kick him, you big bully Out of my Holy way
3: bread,
8: but, Well, hello, Ben Your hired help got smart from me
3: I've just been putting him in his place That's good enough Walk back to my office with me Sure I I came here to see you Ben. Come on. You too, Dirk. Right with you, boss.
6: Kid, you're all right, aren't you?
3: Sure. I, I just cracked my head a little. A kid there, there. Tell me to.
2: Ben led the way to his office backstage. Once inside, he motioned to a chair for Brad, know, Brad and signaled to try. Dirk to close the door.
3: <laughs> uh, which one you mind, Brad? Well, I I've got me a new job. New one. <laughs> it's your first, isn't it? <laughs>
8: I've handled this kind of work before.
3: You're working for Mike Lunigan, huh? That's right. Perhaps you ought to know that Mike's digging gravel on my property.
8: I know that's what you claim. But Mike's got the law on his side. And he's also got me. So that's it? That's it. From now on, you're going to leave his sluices and his equipment alone. I've guaranteed Mike that you would. Huh? What's that? <laughs> Don't be so nervous. Only the kid starting his exhibition. Did I hear you
3: right? You guaranteed Mike that I'd leave him alone?
8: Yeah, because I knew that all I'd have to do
3: was ask him. What gave you that idea? Uh,
8: maybe you better ask Gert to step outside
3: for a minute. No, he stays. He knows all my business. All of it?
8: Yeah. Okay. Then he knows who killed Maxie Lake back in Frisco. What, Jack? Easy, bet. Nobody's going to spill a word of it as long as you leave Mike alone. Is that understood? Think it over for a minute. I've watched the kid shoot for a while. (laughs) Say, I'm glad he didn't have a gun when I tangled with him. I never saw shooting like this in my life.
3: Close the door, Fred.
8: Sure. So you thought it... O- no, no, Ben, put
2: down a gun! Before sure. Ben could fire, Brad threw himself across the room and grabbed Ben's gun arm. The two men fought for the gun. Oh, Brad uh, fell to the floor. Fifteen minutes later, as the kid came off the stage, Dirk called him over to the open back door of the building.
7: Hey, kid! Bring your rifle over here. What's the matter? Nothing. But
9: you do all your shooting at short range on the stage. I want to see what you can do at a distance with a rifle. Name the target, Dirk. I've hung a lantern down there on the waterfront. Can you see it? For sure. Well, let's
7: see you put it out. All right. Good work. Anything to oblige. Hey, I didn't notice those people out on the dock. Suppose they thought I was shooting at them? Nah, they're just some of the boys I sent down there to watch the shot.
2: Oh. You're all right, kid. Thanks, Dirk. A few minutes later, there was a knock on the door at the headquarters of the Northwest Mounted Police. <laughs> Sergeant Preston was on duty, and the great dog King was lying beside his master's desk.
10: Come in. The door is unlocked.
2: Sergeant, you must come with me, quick.
10: What's the matter, Hans? The man's been shot.
2: He's dead. Just a second. while I get
10: my dagger? Who is it? Brad Kramer. What did it happen?
5: Did he call?
2: Him? No, he was not there. But that's where the shot came from. Let's go. One gang. <laughs> Tell me about it, Hans. Well, I was down by the waterfront getting ready to fish through the ice. Yes? I see Brad Kramer come walking along. Oh, uh, first there's something that you should know. Tonight, Brad had a fight at the music hall with the kid. It's about that girl, Sally. What's that have to do with the shooting? But Brad knocked the kid down. He hit him very hard. What about the shooting? Well, it's because of the fight that I think it happened. I see the
10: kid in the doorway of the music hall. Brad is near the dock, 200 yards away. The kid has a rifle. He raises it and shoots. Are you saying that Bill Desmond shot Brad Kramer? That's right, Sergeant. It is murder. We'll continue our story in just
2: a moment. Fellas and girls, don't wait another day. Hurry, send for your official Challenge of the Yukon secret two-way signal light. It's new, it's different, it's terrific. This mystifying flashing signal light is like a special kind of flashlight. A super special kind. It's so unusual, you've probably never heard of anything quite like it. This amazing signal light works two ways. That is, it sends out beams of red light or beams of green light. It actually flashes either red or green. And it works with a simple flick of your finger. Imagine owning this amazing invention. Made specially for flashing your own codes and messages to your particular friend. It works much like blinker signal guns used by the Army and Navy. Yes, this signal light has a special plastic directional signal barrel. That's to prevent others from detecting your secret signal flashes, except the person at whom they're aimed. And you can carry this handy two-way signal light anywhere you go without anyone detecting its presence. That's because it's pocket-sized. Less than four inches long, it fits snugly in your pocket without anyone being the wiser. Talk about exciting. Say you can make up secret codes and messages to signal friends. For instance, two red flashes might mean danger, stay back. Or one green flash and one red flash might mean help, come at once. Say your new official challenge of the Yukon signal light is the real McCoy. It's mystifying. It's a beauty. Color is glistening shiny black, and it has Sergeant Preston's name in his own handwriting across the side. Important, too, it comes complete with standard replaceable electric bulb and batteries. And for yours today, send now for your secret signal light that flashes red, that flashes green. Just send 25 cents in coin. That's all, just 25 cents and one box top from a package of delicious Quaker Puff wheat or Quaker Puff rice. Print your name and address and send at once to Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. This official two-way signal light is not on sale in stores anywhere. This exclusive offer is made to introduce new friends to the swell-tasting breakfast cereals shot from guns. Ask mother to serve delicious Quaker puffed wheat or Quaker puffed rice. You'll love it. And remember... Get your mystifying two-way signal light. Send 25 cents and the top from the package. Mail to Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. I'll repeat, that's Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. Now to continue our story. Half an hour after Hans had brought the news of the murder to Sergeant Preston, Dirk entered Big Ben's office at the music hall.
9: Boss, things aren't working out the way you thought they would. Why not?
2: Well, the boys all did their part. They said they saw the
3: kid shoot Brad. Wasn't that enough for Preston?
9: I don't know. He examined the body and had it taken down the headquarters.
3: Now he's out in the cafe. Uh, he's come to arrest the kid.
9: He's sure taking his time about it. The kid and Sally are sitting at a table over in the corner. He hasn't even gone near them
3: asking everybody about the fight. He has to get all the facts. Has he questioned you yet? About what? Uh, the kid must have told him that you asked him to shoot at a lantern.
9: He hasn't even
3: talked to the kid. I can't figure it out.
9: Maybe that's the sergeant now. Come in.
3: Well, hello, sergeant. Good evening, Ben. Won't you have a chair? Thanks.
8: <laughs>
3: Thank You know, this is sad business. Very. I feel that I'm partly to blame. Do you? I'm the one who brought the kid up here. I didn't realize he was dangerous, though. Brad came here to see you tonight, didn't he, Ben? Well, no, he came here to see Sally. That's what the fight was about. It
10: was you who stopped the fight? Yeah. And you took Brad back here? That's right, to
3: keep him away from the kid. No one saw Brad leave the building, Ben. Uh, Maybe he didn't go out the front way. There's a back door just around the corner. I guess the kid saw him leave, all right. Must have just finished his act about that time.
9: Yeah, you know I saw the kid fire the shot too, Sergeant. He was standing in the open doorway with a rifle in his hand.
3: I saw him raise it, take aim, and shoot. Oh. The distance doesn't mean anything to him. He let Brad get all the way down to the river. No,
10: that isn't the way it happened.
3: What do you mean? On sod. So did Dirk.
10: It's a cold night. The wind bites through unless your Parker's well buttoned. What's that got to do with it? Brad's parko was buttoned. Well, sure. You said? I still don't see. There's no bullet hole in it. Eh? No. The parka must have been buttoned after Brad was shot. Well, I suppose... uh,
3: I suppose one of the men who found it. They said
10: they didn't touch the body. Yes, but... The parka isn't the only evidence in the kid's favor. I saw him shoot. From the back door here with Brad 200 yards away. Yeah? There were powder burns on Brad's clothing. The bullet that killed Brad was fired at close range. Your testimony, Dirk, and the testimony of the others have put the kid in the clear.
3: But he must the have... The sergeant's right, Dirk.
10: The kid shot couldn't have killed him. That's uh, certainly a relief. No relief to me, although I'm glad it wasn't the kid. I still have to find the man who did it. Are you sure Brad left the building as soon as he left
3: your office, Ben? Uh, no, not at all. But he must have left the front way.
10: No one saw him.
3: Say... You're not accusing me, are you?
10: Of course not. There's no evidence against anyone yet. Perhaps there won't be until we find the motive for the killing.
3: The kid had a fight with Brad about Sally. I thought Sally was your girl, Ben. Well, she likes the kid. He likes her. Brad tried to make Sally dance with him. If I'd have been there at the time, I'd have taken a poke at him myself.
10: Of course you would. We'll have to look for another motive, but uh, we have a lead, haven't we, King? Better start following it up. Come on, boy.
3: Good night, Ben. Good night. Good night, sir. Good night. He's a cool customer. Too cool to suit me. But there's no way he can find out. He said he had a lead. He finds out why Brad came he here. He can. How much does Mike Loney know, Dirk?
9: I never thought of him.
3: I've been thinking of nothing else. Yeah. There he uh, came. Follow the sergeant. Okay. I've got a hunch he's going to leave town to watch him. If he takes the trail for Rainbow Creek, well, if he does, get back here fast. It was to Rainbow Creek that the sergeant went that night.
2: The trail was hard-packed, and with King setting the pace, the trip was made in two hours. Mike Lonigan was roused from his sleep.
10: Sergeant I can't waste any time. Sit down and listen to me, Mike.
3: Sure, Sergeant. Sit down here. and listen. Sure.
10: Two weeks ago, your sluice boxes were robbed. You called on the Northwest Mounted Police to investigate. I was assigned to the case. I not only found the man who committed the robbery, but I arrested him. It was George Tracy. Good work. Now listen. He's in jail, and he's confessed that Ben Diamond hired him to do the job. The only reason Ben hasn't been arrested is we have only Tracy's word, and that's not enough to convict him. However, the San Francisco police have been in touch with us concerning Ben, or at least someone whose description fits him. It's possible that Ben will go back to the States to face a murder charge. Uh, Sergeant... Let me finish. You haven't been satisfied with the way the police have been handling your case. You decided to do something about it yourself. You hired Brad Kramer. How do you know that? Brad started talking as soon as he arrived in town. You hired him as protection against Ben. Now, why? Why'd you pick him for the job?
7: Because he said that Ben was afraid of him. Why? At he said
2: he
10: had something on him. Yes, that's what I thought. Well, you've lost your protection, Mike. You'll have to be satisfied with the force in the future. What's happened? Brad is dead. Murdered. Ben do it? it? Must have been either Ben or one of his men... Brad went to the music hall tonight, got in a fight with Bill Desmond, but that doesn't have anything to do with it. He went there to see Ben, didn't he? Sergeant,
7: you are right about the murder charge in the States. Kramer knew Ben was wanted. He was going
10: to threaten him. He did. And as a result, Ben put a bullet through his heart. The force may not work fast enough to suit you, Mike, but believe me, it isn't safe to take the law into your own hands. No, I was wrong. I know I shouldn't have had anything to do with Brad,
4: but he came to me and he said...
10: Well, it doesn't matter now. I'm going back to Dawson and arrest Ben. There's only circumstantial evidence against him, but at least I can hold him till the officer from the States arrives. Let's go, King. An hour later, Dirk and Hans
2: drove dog jeans up to the back entrance of the music hall. Dirk went inside and headed straight for Ben's office. The big man was stuffing gold and currency into a carpet bag. We're all set.
9: Yeah,
3: good. I'll be ready in a minute. You haven't said anything to anybody.
9: Nobody but Hans. You said he could come with us.
3: Yeah, he's a good man with a gun. Yeah, give me a hand with this. It's too heavy for one man to carry. Sure. <laughs> well,
11: so you're
6: leaving.
3: What makes you think so? Your
6: looks mighty empty
3: to me. Take care of her, Dirk. Use your gun, but...
6: Don't. No, I... <clears throat> oh.
9: What do we do with her? Just leave her here? No.
3: And take her with us.
8: I don't like that.
3: It's no business of yours. I'll take her out and put her on one of the sleds. Okay. Take him back here and give me a hand with this bag and hurry it up. Okay.
2: When the sergeant drove up to the music hall, there was an excited crowd out in front. The kid was just about to step on the running board of a sled to which six Labradors were hitched when he saw the
7: mounting. Okay. Oh, sergeant, oh. sergeant they are going. Ben? Yeah, Ben and Dirk and Hans, and they've taken Sally with them. There are sled tracks leading from the back of the building here down to the river. They heading north.
10: They're Forty mile on the border. You're sure about that? Well, they're gone. The safe's
7: empty. And Dirk and Hans were seen harnessing dog teams and loading their sleds with supplies. That's
10: good enough for me. I'll follow them. Ha-
7: I'm sure that Sally didn't go with them willingly.
10: I'm sure of that too. Ben's realized the game's up. Was he the one? He killed Brad Kramer, and he's wanted for another murder in the states. Can't I come with you? I might be able to help catch him. I'm afraid he wouldn't be able to keep up.
8: Unpin, <laughs> unyoke.
2: King was working in harness, and he lunged forward at the sergeant's command. Down to the river, and then north along the Yukon Trail. Faster and faster. A pace that no other team in the territory could match. Mile after mile. One hour. Two hours. And then the sergeant, who was watching the landmarks and the bank closely, shouted a command.
8: Harking! Hark! That's it,
10: boy. We're taking the overland trail and cutting off the bend.
2: The cutoff that the sergeant followed saved at least five miles. And when the river was reached once more, there were no fresh sled tracks. The sergeant stopped in the shadow of a large boulder on the bank.
8: Oh, King! Oh, okay. Take them quiet down, King!
2: A bark from King and the other members of the team dropped in their tracks. Silently, the sergeant waited. An hour passed. The northern lights faded from the sky. The gray dawn dispersed the sharp blue shadow that the boulder had made on the gleaming snow. Then the sergeant saw the men. Ben was driving the first sled and Sally was riding it. Dirk drove the second with Hans as his passenger. The sergeant stepped out on the trail, his rifle ready.
10: Stop in the name of the queen.
2: Don't go for your guns. But the three men paid no attention to the sergeant's command. Dirk and Hans dropped down behind their sled. Ben pulled Sally from the sled so that she acted as a shield. The sergeant was unable to shoot without hitting her. And Ben fired. Oh, shot hit the sergeant in the leg and knocked him to the ground. His rifle flew from his hand, out of reach, and Ben prepared to shoot again. But King jumped in front of the sergeant, ready to protect his fallen master with his life. Ben thrust Sally aside. The sergeant started crawling toward his rifle. And then suddenly, sharply, from 100 yards up the trail, a rifle spoke. And Ben clutched at his right arm. It was the kid who had fired. He stood in full view, and now he was squeezing the trigger as he aimed at Dirk. But both Dirk and Hans shifted their position so that the sled would give them protection from the kid's bullets, and they started firing back at him. The sergeant called the king.
10: Quick, King, the rifle.
2: The great Dog ran to pick up the rifle as his master took advantage of the diversion to crawl back to the cover of the boulder. Here, boy.
10: Here. Good work, King.
2: Now, in spite of his wound, the sergeant was ready to take part in the battle once more. The kid was firing from the shelter of his own sled, and his bullets were chipping wood from Dirk and Hans' cover. Sergeant's first shot made them realize they were completely exposed to his fire, and panic seized them. They shouted their surrender.
10: Sally, you all right? Come here, then. It's only my leg. Here, take my rifle and keep them covered. All right. Come on, kid.
2: A few minutes later, the kid had taken charge of the prisoners under the sergeant's supervision.
10: Dirk and Hans wore handcuffs. Will you take care of Ben's arms, Sally?
6: After I take care of you, Sergeant. Ben deserves a lot worse than he got. You'll
10: get what he deserves, don't worry. Why, kid, what's the matter? Your hands are shaking. It's the first time I've ever been nervous with a gun in my hands. Shooting straight counted so much. Sally and King and I are grateful for what you did. But I had to shoot straight.
7: It seemed to me that every bit of practice I put in during my whole life was just so that I'd be ready for that one moment. You see, I love Sally. I want to marry her. You will? <laughs> okay.
6: But if the sergeant's grateful to you, you should be grateful to him. If he hadn't been such a good detective, Ben might have sent you to jail.
10: I am grateful, Sergeant. We've made a good team. Now that it's over, I don't mind telling you that King and I have never had a closer call. How about it, boy? Yes, King, I agree. We've been lucky. I'm just as glad as you are that this case is closed.
2: In just a moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Monday's adventure. Here's one more chance, fellas and girls. One more chance to send for your mystifying, flashing, two-way signal light. That's the special new invention, like a flashlight, for signaling secret codes and messages to your friends. This amazing signal light works two ways. It flashes red, and it flashes green. It's not sold in stores. Supplies are limited, so act fast. Send your name and address, plus 25 cents and one box top from delicious Quaker puffed Wheat or Quaker puffed Rice. Mail immediately to Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. I'll repeat, that's Flashlight, Chicago 50, Illinois. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and edited by Franz Stryker. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns. Listen Monday, when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case Trailmate.
10: When King and I met two men on the trail and joined them as trail mates, I had no idea we were with a couple of bank robbers. When they realized I was becoming suspicious, trouble really started, and I was lucky to come out of that adventure alive.
2: Be sure to hear this exciting adventure Monday. Till then, this is J. Michael wishing you goodbye, good luck, and good health from Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. So long. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting
1: Company. Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theatre of the Mind. You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Well, once again, we have the pleasure of having a visit with George Burns and Gracie Allen. Tonight, Gracie has plans to get George a starring role in the movies. The only trouble is the role she wants for George... Belongs to Frank Sinatra. Uh,
12: Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Uh, Sure.
1: (laughs) Pour me a cup, Gracie.
12: You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last
4: (laughs) drop. And that drop's good, too. (laughs) Yes, it's
7: Maxwell House coffee time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Yours truly, Bill Goodwin, the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, our happy postman and our special guest, star of the old gold show, Frank Sinatra. For your Thursday night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for your everyday coffee drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House, the coffee that gives you so much more and so little more, that is bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee in the world. Yes, Maxwell House, expertly blended, radiant roasted for rich, mellow, extra flavor. Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good to the last drop. It's morning in the Burns home, and Gracie, the housewife, has cleared away the breakfast dishes. Now Gracie, the newspaper columnist, is ready to clear away the problems of the world.
12: My, the paper is full of news this morning. I hardly know which item to explain to the readers of my column.
4: You explain the news to them?
12: Oh, yes. Everyone doesn't have my uncanny grasp of world affairs. I'm not the average person, George.
4: That I've known for years.
12: (laughs) Some people have the minds of children, and it's my duty to guide them. I see. What would you like to know (laughs) dear? Not a
4: thing. Nothing at all.
12: Now, you take the elections last Tuesday. Do you realize how confused those poor Republicans must be who got elected? I'll bet some of them wind up in Seattle and Tacoma.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Seattle and Tacoma?
12: Yes. They've been out so long, they won't know which Washington to go to.
4: (laughs) A shrewd observation.
12: Well, so much for politics. Hmm. Now, let's turn to football.
4: Now, Gracie, you know nothing about football.
12: I don't, eh? Well, I can show Army a trick play that'll beat Notre Dame. What? Well, just before the game, Army drafts all the Notre Dame players. (laughs) I wouldn't
4: let that get around. Hmm.
12: So much for football. Let's turn to the entertainment news. Oh, no. Oh, listen to this. Artie Shaw is honeymooning with Kathleen Windsor, the girl who wrote Forever Amber. Well, as usual, the man gets all the breaks. What do you mean? Well, he can have a wonderful time reading her book, but what if she can't play the clarinet?
4: (laughs) I wouldn't let it worry me.
12: Oh, here's an interesting item. Frank Sinatra has got to sing at the Waldorf Hotel in New York.
4: The kid really gets plenty of work. Yeah,
12: and I can't understand it. Well, you're twice the singer he is.
4: Oh, Gracie.
12: Oh, I realize it's not his fault. He gets tones that are thin and hollow because his chest is thin and hollow.
5: <laughs>
12: but, but you get tones that are low and round because don't your chest...
4: Don't finish it, don't
5: finish
12: it. It's <laughs> really <laughs> a flash. That hotel should have hired you to sing.
4: Though April showers may come your way,
12: they bring flowers that bloom in May. Oh murder,
5: Jack. Murder.
12: Oh, those golden notes will come pouring out of you like Democrats out of Congress. Oh, excuse me, dear. I'll see who's at the door.
13: Good morning, Missy Burns. Here's your mail. Oh,
12: thank you, Mr. Postman. Uh Uh-oh. A bill from the butcher shop. Yes, there's another installment due on that pound of bacon we bought.
13: Prices are high, aren't they?
12: Yes, and I could use more money. And that's what annoys me about George. My husband could be a big movie star.
13: Don't tell me you're still trying to get him to replace Clark Gable.
12: Well, wouldn't George be perfect for the Hucksters?
13: I didn't read the book. What's it all about? Well,
12: it's about radio advertising, Mister Postman.
13: Oh, I love radio advertising.
12: It's five o'clock.
5: Time
12: to on. Say, that's right. Most radio advertising is sung these days, isn't it? Oh
13: yes. Langendorf is just meant for you. Meant for you. Meant for you. Meant for, for you. Oh, Mister Postman. Mm-hmm.
12: It oh. <laughs> Mr. Postman, you've given me an idea. The man who plays the lead in the Hucksters will have to be a singer. So? So, this makes George the logical choice. The man doesn't breathe who can sing better than George Burns.
13: How about Frank Sinatra?
12: Mm, well, I can't quite decide.
13: If he's better
12: know if he breathes. Well,
13: I'm glad I cheered you up, Missy Burns. Oh, I'm
12: eternally grateful to you, Mr. Postman. Thanks to you, George will make the picture. Would you like to see the sneak preview?
13: No, just tell him hello for me.
5: (laughs)
12: Well, goodbye, Missy Burns. You remember,
13: keep smiling.
12: Oh, George, George, come here. What is it, Gracie? What are you so excited about? Oh, George, fate has played right into your throat. Hmm? Clark Gable is automatically eliminated from the Hucksters. The leading man will have to be a singer. How come? Well, it's all about radio advertising. And that's nothing but singing commercials.
4: Say, that's right. Get
12: your hat. you going right over to MBM and audition. MBM? After they hear you sing, it'll be Metro Burns Mayor.
5: Oh. <laughs>
4: Okay, I'll do April showers for them. <clears throat> Gee, I hope I don't get excited and forget the word. Well,
12: I'll be there to prompt you, darling.
4: Though April showers may come your way. Uh,
12: what do they bring, George? Do they bring weeds, dandelions?
4: They bring the flowers that bloom in May. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
12: and oh,
4: it's raining. Oh,
12: what's your attitude toward that precipitation? have no regrets. Why is this astonishing view of the matter?
4: Because it is raining, right, you know.
12: It's raining
4: wild And when you see clouds Where? Up on a hill
5: What are they?
12: You
4: only see clouds Yes?
12: Of Jaffa <laughs> Would you like me to keep my eyes peeled for some type of bird?
4: So keep looking for a bluebird And listening for his
12: When, George... During the dry season? Whenever. During the summer? Whenever. April. During the winter? Whenever. January? When? February? When? March? Oh, quiet. <laughs> Whenever
4: April showers
12: come on Short? Medium? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and people think Sinatra can sing. Why, uh... Hey, that's right, Sinatra. We haven't got a chance. Well, what do you mean?
4: He's under contract to MGM. If it's going to be a musical, they'll use him.
12: But you're better than Sinatra.
4: I know, but he's under contract. <laughs> <laughs> if you had a plumber living in your house, would you call in an outsider to fix a drip? Frankie's Frankie's
12: in, and I'm out. Well, we'll take care of that. So, Mr. Sinatra's the plumber, is he? Thinks he can handle a drip, does he? Well, he hasn't met George Burns. I should say no. Nice. <laughs>
11: <laughs> well, here you are, Gracie. This is Frank Sinatra's house.
12: Oh, thanks for driving me over, Meredith. How'd you find his house so easily?
11: All us members of the Sinatra fan club know where Frankie Boy lives.
12: You're a member? Sure.
11: Kinda wish they hadn't passed that rule that it that, meanings everyone had to wear sweater skirts and bobby socks. <laughs> I felt a little conspicuous.
5: Oh,
12: I should think you would.
11: Yeah, one of my bobby socks had a hole in it.
12: Well, thanks again, Meredith. I'm going in now and convince Frankie that he should leave town. What for? Well, so his studio won't be able to reach him, and they'll have to let George play the lead in that picture.
11: Oh, well, good luck. Oh, uh, uh, Gracie, don't forget your package. Oh,
12: yes, that's some baby clothes. A little gift for Frankie's boy. If my first plan fails, I can always soften him up with that. Oh, goodbye, Meredith. Bye. Now let's see. I'll tell Frankie that he should get out of town for a rest. I'll convince him that he looks tired and weak. <laughs> Thank goodness I have nature on my side.
11: <laughs> yes. Oh, hello, Gracie.
12: Hello, little boy. I'd like to see Frank Sinatra.
11: Gracie, don't you recognize me? I'm Frank Sinatra.
12: I didn't know you. You've wasted away to nothing. I have? Oh, yes. Your bones have lost so much weight.
11: But, Gracie...
12: And your neck, Frankie. Your neck is just hanging there in folds. (laughs) And it's all covered with spots.
11: That's my bow tie, Gracie.
12: Oh. Well, anyway, you ought to get away for a little rest.
11: Yeah. I have been working pretty hard at that. Maybe I should go away to some resort.
12: Oh, sure. How about Africa? <laughs> Africa? Oh, you'd love it, Frankie. It's not as crowded as Palm Springs. Yeah,
11: I know, but, uh...
12: Oh, all the smart people are going there. The Frank Buffs, Todd and his mate, Doctor and Mrs. Livingston, I presume.
11: <laughs> I'm sorry, Gracie, I'm not going to Africa. Suppose the cannibals grab me.
12: Well, what if they do? Why should we be the only ones to have a meat shortage? <laughs> Well,
11: just the same, I am not going to Africa.
12: Well, then go to India. Whatever you do, don't stay at MGM.
11: Don't stay at MGM?
12: Oh, yes. Uh, That's a place in India. Uh, The uh, Mahatma Gandhi Motel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, don't stay there. The rooms are terrible.
11: Well, first of all, I have no intention of going to India. Excuse me just a moment, Gracie, while I
13: answer the door. Good afternoon, Mr. Sinatra. Is your mail? Thank you, Mr. Postman. You want to hear something funny? What's that? They're going to make a big musical at your studio, and Mrs. Burns thinks her husband would be better for the lead than you.
11: Oh,
13: <laughs> now I catch on. That's why
11: she's been trying to send me out of town.
13: If she had succeeded, that would have been bigger news than man bites dog. <laughs> How do you mean that? Woman Shen Sinatra.
5: <laughs>
13: <laughs> well, goodbye, Frankie Moyne. Let
5: me keep smiling.
13: <laughs> oh,
12: Gracie.
11: I'd like to talk to you. Oh,
12: yes, Frankie. What is this?
11: Wanting me to go to Africa and India, uh, that had nothing to do with putting George in a picture, did it?
12: Putting George in a picture? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who told you? The
11: postman told me. Is it true?
12: Yes, Frankie. I can't look into your sweet, innocent, boyish face and lie to you. Not when I know you've been tipped off. <laughs>
11: Gracie, tell me, do you really think George is a better singer than I am?
12: Oh, well, let's face it, Frankie, he is. I realize they call you the voice, but wait till I tell you what they call George.
7: Please, Gracie, there are children in the
5: house. (laughs) They
12: call George Sugar Throat. Oh. Of course, in fairness to you, I haven't heard you sing lately. Oh, why don't you run through a number right now so I can make a comparison?
11: Okay. When I was a young man courting the girls... I played me a waiting game If ever a maid refused me with curls I let the older take a couple of words While I plied her with tears in lieu of pearls. And as time came around She came my right way As time came around
10: she came For it's a
5: long, while
8: From May to December
11: But the days grow
5: short
11: When you reach September they are. All... I'll spend with you
5: These precious days
11: Well, uh, what did you think of it, Gracie?
12: Well, Frank, before you sang, I thought maybe George was better. But now that I've heard you... Yes? I'm sure of it.
11: (laughs) Well, even so, but I can't understand why you'd go to such lengths to get George a job.
12: Well, no, I guess you don't understand how a woman feels. Well, goodbye, Frankie.
11: Oh, wait a minute. You forgot your package. Here, I'll Oh, I'm sorry, Gracie. I dropped it. Why, Gracie! It's baby clothes.
12: Yes, I know. I didn't tell you before, but I... You're going to have a baby.
5: (laughs) I am? I
11: see it all now. You wanted George to have the job for the baby's sake. Uh,
12: yes. That's
11: wonderful. You wanted the little fellow to grow up and be proud of his daddy. Yes. What if you did resort to trickery? You are prompted by that noblest of all emotions... Mother Love. Yes. Gracie, you have helped me see the light.
12: Well, you've been a pretty big help yourself. Just
11: wait till my wife hears this.
12: Hey, Nancy! Hey, Nancy! Oh, that's right. She can't hear me from
11: here. She's in the den listening to Crosby records. But we'll...
12: Well know everything. Uh, George can do the picture, can't he?
11: You bet he can. Yes, sirree. Bye, George. Gracie, maybe we've got some baby things that you can use.
12: Well, uh... uh... You
11: tell Nancy to give you those three-cornered pants she put in my shirt drawer. I'd be glad to get rid of them, believe oh.
12: No, no, Frankie. The baby things are enough. We can not take your clothes, too. <laughs>
11: well, you talk to Nancy. She's right there in the den.
12: Oh, all right. thanks.
11: What am I waiting for? I gotta go over and congratulate George. He's gonna have a baby.
4: Well, I'll be done. Here comes Frank Sinatra up the walk. I wonder if Gracie talked him into letting me have the picture. Come in.
11: George, old man, congratulations.
4: You mean Gracie talked to you and I'm going to have
11: it? (laughs) You sure are, kid. Well, this is just a start.
4: If the first one... (laughs) If the first one turns out all right, I may go on a regular schedule of two a year.
5: (laughs) Two a year?
4: Yeah. Oh, but George, you can't do that. (laughs) Sure, I can. All I have to do is sing a couple of songs.
5: <laughs>
4: well,
11: the week is over.
4: But those are in the future. Let's talk about this one. I hope it's as good as your last one,
5: Frankie. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh,
4: I was kind of proud of that one, myself. Say, <laughs> say uh, I don't remember. Was that one Technicolor? <laughs>
5: color?
11: Well, uh, yes, George, in a way, yes You see, we're sort of red in spots But your baby will be too, you know Baby? What baby? The baby Gracie's gonna have Oh, that baby What?
5: <laughs> My
11: wife was gonna have a baby? You mean you didn't know? Of course
4: I didn't know, she didn't tell me Oh,
11: but George, you should have guessed it Haven't you noticed her acting rather strangely? Frank, if acting strangely
4: meant Gracie was going to have a baby, I'd be Papa Dion.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, sir,
11: how you know, George. That's why Gracie is so anxious for you to play the lead in that picture. She wants you to make good for Junior. Gee. Well, George, I think you... Oh, Frankie, you're
12: here. Honey,
4: Frankie just told me you're going to have a
12: baby. Well, so he told me. I... I mean, so I told him.
4: Gee, you mean... I'm going to be a father, and you're going to be a mother.
12: Well, isn't that the usual arrangement? <laughs> Me, a father.
4: Gee, huh? I'm, I'm all excited. Here, sweetheart, I'd have a cigar. <laughs> no, I mean, how about a kiss, Frankie? No, I mean, have a cigar, Frankie. Oh, calm down, George. Hello. I mean, come
11: in. <laughs> Well, Frankie boy. Hiya, Bill. Hey, you want to dig some great news? George is going to be a father. Yeah. How much cigar, Bill?
12: Gracie. Are you expecting the stork? Oh goodness, no. A baby.
5: <laughs> well, this is wonderful. Congratulations,
7: George. I hope the kid has Gracie's looks and your brains. No, no, no. I hope I hope it has Gracie's brains and your looks. Oh. No. <laughs> Is it too late to call this whole thing (laughs) off?
5: Never mind the funny stuff. But, George,
7: you know, you just don't look like a father. I think he looks like a great father.
12: I think he looks grand. Well, now you
7: got it. He looks like a great grandfather.
5: (laughs) Well,
12: Frank Sinatra thinks he looks all right. He's recommending George for the lead in a picture.
5: Frankie, why
7: didn't you recommend me? After all, I made you what you are today. What?
5: <laughs> Bad English,
7: but it's true. I'm the one who started the girls going, ooh, when you sang. Yeah, how come? Well, I stood behind you and held up a cup of Maxwell House coffee. Naturally, the girls went, ooh. <laughs> it was hot, yes. Yeah. Maxwell
5: House <laughs> Maxwell House is the very
7: best at coffee drinking pleasure, yet it costs but a fraction of a penny more per cup than the cheapest coffee sold.
12: Oh, but Bill, you wouldn't do for the picture because it's a musical. It's for singers like George and Frankie.
7: Oh, well, I can't sing like George. I can sing exactly like Frankie. The mu- <laughs>
5: music
7: song. <stop. laughs> But we kept on dancing
5: Oh,
12: dear Uh, Nobody would say that sounds like Frank
5: Sinatra Terry Como would (laughs) Well, now, wait a minute I
7: can make it sound twice as good by putting some real lyrics in it Listen to this The coffee (laughs) drips
11: different key, isn't it? Sad so. <laughs> Maxwell House coffee. You may hear from my lawyer in the morning. <laughs> I'd rather hear five minutes more myself. Well, it won't take
7: me that long to tell you that Maxwell House is great, Frank. You see, the careful selection and blending of choice Latin American coffees plus radiant roasting gives Maxwell House that famous flavor. In fact, it's so wonderful that it's bought by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Everybody knows that Maxwell House is always good to the last drop.
12: Well, you can just relax, Bill. George's got to make the picture. Just wait till his golden voice comes pouring through that screen.
7: Well, can't, Gracie. Gravel won't go through a screen.
5: <laughs> you think I can sing, eh, comic?
4: Mm hmm. Oh, April showers, we come your
7: way. Oh.
5: <laughs> That's showing him, George. <laughs>
12: Little songbird.
7: (laughs) Songbird?
12: What? Sometimes I think a tit flew down his throat. <laughs> tell
5: him, Gracie,
4: tell him.
12: And he and it, and it built a nest there and is raising a family.
4: Talk to him, talk to him. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And, uh, and every
12: time George opens his mouth, another egg
5: hatches. <laughs> oh, honey. <laughs>
12: ah, you're solid, Jackson. The movies will pay millions for your voice.
11: Boy, for
2: sure. Oh, favor, Jack,
12: to... don't waste that stuff. No. <laughs> Well, come on,
11: George. Let's get over to the studio and I'll introduce you to the right people. Well, I'll get my Come in. Hello, all. Hello, Meredith. Have a cigar. Oh, hey,
12: Meredith, see. have you met Frank Sinatra?
11: Uh, not formally, but we have met. We have? Yes. Remember the time those Bobby soxers mobbed you in Glendale and started turning your clothes off? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember I had to jump over the fence to get away. Well, I got the party of suit that went over the fence last. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
5: God.
12: Meredith, I'm sorry, but we haven't time to visit with you now. Frank is taking George to the studio to get started on that picture.
11: Oh, that gift for Frankie's baby did it, huh? What gift?
12: Uh, oh, uh, goodbye, Meredith. No,
11: the baby clothes for your little boy. That was for my baby?
12: Uh, uh, Goodbye, Meredith. I I hear your sister calling you.
11: My sister's in Mason City, Iowa.
5: (laughs)
12: loud voice, hasn't she? Well, uh, goodbye, Meredith.
11: Just a minute, Gracie. Something tells me you are not going to have a baby at all.
12: I'm not going to have a baby. <laughs> oh, it almost worked. Gracie,
4: you mean I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be a
12: father? I'm afraid not.
4: Boys, give me back my
6: cigar. <laughs>
7: Us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson, and his orchestra, and yours truly Bill Goodwin. Our guest will be Luella Parsons. And the following week, Clark Cable. Frank Sinatra appeared through the courtesy of Metro Goldwyn Mayer. See him soon until the clouds roll by.
12: Good night,
5: folks.
2: This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Players and the story of Babe Ruth. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly
0: produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.